welcome listeners. I'm Larry Woodard, and this is Admire. You have to be good, and you have to be willing to own the voice and add a different perspective, because otherwise, why are you there? And that was something that I really, um, I know a lot of people struggle with, like, when the voice in the room is different, yes, all eyes are going to be used. So when you use it, you know, you got to look there. And, you know, there were times when even in situations, you know, uh, it's different to have a PhD in psychology in some of those coaches meetings. Now, a lot of the coaches, I actually do know some other ones that are highly educated in, in psychology. Um, Daryl Drake was one of them. And he, he was one who was like, coach, they, they need docs more probably than we need X's and O's. And he, you know, he told me about how he used to coach Brandon Marshall and how that was so important. And now some of that's coming into the equation. But I remember we were in a meeting and they were talking about a, um, you know, a player had struggled with something and they just kind of looked at me and they were like, um, can you like do what you do with that? And I'm like, you mean talk to him? Yeah, I got it. Right. And they'd be like, well, you, I mean, you, and I'm like, yeah, I know, but I got it. Right. And, and so being, uh, confident in what you bring to the table and that that voice is different and that your perspective will add value, um, in, in the general conversation, but also in making sure that it's a more inclusive conversation. Um, you know, it's, right. it's one of those things. And, and I think, you know, I laugh often and, and I, I have not, I have only once, I think, been in a situation where um, really bringing voice and perspective wasn't valued. And to me, that then is an indicator that the leadership um, that put the table together is off. It's not an indicator that your voice is wrong. Right, right. Look, um, in my opinion, um, one of the true arbiters of, of, of greatness uh, is when somebody gets an opportunity and they achieve and then they turn around and they, they start to give back. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about your current efforts to get girls playing like football. Um, I, I think you are, you are spot on um, in terms of what's really important. Um yeah, I tell people often what what we do is is great. What what I did is great, but what's way more important is what we do with what we've done. Um, I I push myself uh, constantly on a couple of things, and there's you know, I guess you know it's kind of like my own code. If you are the first, the opportunity and the responsibility is to ensure you are not the last. And at any time, if I get scared or I feel like I'm over over my head, I kind of say, well, if you can't handle this, then the wrong woman was the first female to coach in the NFL. And it should have been somebody other than you. So if, if you're not willing to open the door, if you're not willing to, to speak up um, or to stand up, then someone else should have been in your position. Because it's not easy. And and it's often going to, you know, it's going to make you either the most popular person or the least, depending on who you ask. Very few middle ground. Right. Um, 
And so for me, one of the things that became so obvious uh, when I was in the NFL was the importance of showing girls that they weren't wrong for loving football. Um, football itself suffers from sins of omission. You don't have to tell a girl that she can't play football or she doesn't belong there. She can look at, at pretty much any area of society and see yes. that it's, you know, on a good day, 99% male. Hmm. And she might see a female, um, but likely not. And you can turn on the TV and see everything from Friday night tights to the NFL. And, and that holds true. And so for me, I wanted to be very intentional about moving the needle for girls. And so I started doing football camps for girls um, two and a half years ago now. Everybody told me I was insane. I couldn't get really any support, uh, backing or sponsors. And now with 35 camps across the country, um, that's obviously not the case anymore. There's more states uh, with varsity programs for girls now and working to move that needle. Um, and I became very acutely aware that, that not only did we have to create those situations, um, you know, in teaching the girls, that, uh, as I say, there's no game they cannot play and no field they do not belong in or on, mm -hmm. um, but that we also needed to change the conversation and the representation and in other areas of the conversation, um, you know, and, and that led to a, a pretty cool evolution this year where, you know, not only was I the first female coach in the NFL, but also now in Madden, um, because that representation matters because it matters that the girls can, you know, can see that they could be a coach in a video game. And it matters for the boys to see that a coach could be a girl too. So, um, I just kind of try and look for as many places as as we can change the narrative and and open doors. And I think now, you know, it's almost five years. You know, it will be. Um, and when training camp opens this year, it'll be five years ago that that barrier was broken. And and what I love seeing now is that it's impacting other areas in society. You know, you see like you know, Tony Harris um, yeah. getting a college scholarship and, and being in a Super Bowl commercial. And, you know, you see Becca Longo kicking in college and, you know, you see Katie Sowers in the Microsoft commercial and, um, you know, Callie Brunson is now with the, with the Browns and, um, you know, the, the Atlanta Falcons um, started and funded a girls program and, and the Buccaneers have done some great stuff there as well. So um, I think you just, I think it's a conversation that needs to continue. Um, and I'm just proud to be, I guess, the, the stubborn chihuahua who uh, often bites off more than she can chew in her little mouth. Well, I love the way that you talk about it, you know, um, especially the Madden football. You know, I, I had a conversation a, a few years ago with Samuel L. Jackson and when you have a conversation with him, he's fond of talking about the fact that he's the only person in the universe with a purple lightsaber because that was mm. the, the lightsaber he had as, um, you know, has his character in Star Wars. And those things do make a difference. You know, the universe got uh, integrated. That's cool, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I think anybody 
that, you know, I, I would like to just have Samuel L. Jackson's voice as a personal soundtrack. Um, but to actually be able to have a conversation with the man, that's pretty epic. Um, So so a Mintel research study concluded that women are one of the sporting good industry's fastest growing markets, but also one of its most ignored. Last year, you signed a multi-year deal with Adidas and you launched a women's football shoe called the AM Gen 4, the AM Gen 4. How'd that come about and how's that going? Um, You know, it's really exciting to be um, on team Adidas. Um, It was pretty significant to me as, as a female who bought every pair of shoes I ever wore throughout my athletic career. Um, and everyone that, you know, every cleat I ever played in, um, you know, and, and telling that to the guys that didn't get it because, mm-hmm. you know, they're used to having a different pair of cleats in their locker every game. Um, and they're in college. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and as women, we didn't get that. And in fact, um, it was, it was Snoop Dogg who, uh, who moved that needle. And, and I, I should have mentioned him as one of my mentors because he definitely is. We've been friends a number of years. He, um, he knew about the girls camp and he knew I was talking to Adidas. Um, and I had, you know, they were kind of giving me shirts and we'd done some stuff and, um, we were talking about the cleats. And he was like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, I, I can't even, um, I can't even get the good cleats. My feet aren't big enough. So I either have to wear soccer cleats or, um, or kids cleats. And he's like, that's ridiculous. I'm like, yeah, imagine if, if we told the boys like, you know, either wear kids cleats or, you know, go get some soccer cleats, but we don't have anything for you. Well, what if you told that to, even your, your SYFL team. And he's like, no way. Like nobody would do that. And he's like, man, you gotta get with those folks at Adidas. Like I thought y'all were talking. And I was like, well, we are. And he was like, I'm gonna have some conversations. That's, that's not okay. And I mean, he really, he really spoke up and, and put in a word and thankfully I had impressed them as well. And, um, you know, but I, I definitely think his weight and belief helped to move that needle. Um, and then Todd Rolex, who was the designer who worked on it. I mean, it was it was really cool to hear the process about you know you don't need the the same weight distribution because you're you're not as heavy obviously as the guys and um, you know and and what that could look like. Um, we still need to make the the case for um, larger scale production for girls football cleats. Right now, they still are not not available um, for purchase. Uh, but I do think that we got a good start there. Um, and then Adidas back um, a lot of my uh, camps as well. Um, I think one of the things that all of the major sporting good companies, and obviously Adidas did it that way, and, you know, um, they've done some cool things with them. I'm, I'm impatient. I'd, I'd like us to always do more. Um, but I think all of the major sporting good retailers um, are starting to realize that, you know, the growth market in football and otherwise is women, right? If you look at, if you look at um, the competition for say football uniforms, right? One year it's, um, you know, 
you've got the, the Ducks with Nike and you've got this team with this team and, and they're constantly fighting over over which team is going to sign with which brand. I look at it and I say, but there's half the population that has never been included in the conversation. The growth market is women. The growth market is girls. The future of, you know, whether it's flag football, like, okay, I don't, I want I want the company um, that has cleats for the boys and the girls because the mom that goes into that store and she sees that her daughter has an option, she's going to buy the same thing for her son. By the way, 87% of the purchasing power lies with women. That's exactly so right. If, you know, if, if, we're not, if we're not realizing that that's where um, those things happen, um, then you know, your dollars aren't going to make sense for much longer. And, um, I think that there's still a lot of, um, opportunity in that space that people have yet to, to really figure out, um, what it's going to look like. Um, but you know, we're seeing it in the camps. Um, the demand right now around the country is there. Um, I get inquiries all the time. And, and so now it's going to be about, um, really moving the needle full scale and, and what are those investments going to look like? And, and, you know, I would say there is an advantage to being first, no matter what. Um, and I, I, I'm trying to push them all to make the leap, I guess. Mm-hmm. When we met in California a couple months ago, you told me about your kick glass nail polish top effect. Uh, what was the genesis of that product? Uh, what does it mean and how is it going? Um, so kick glass is, you know, it's, it's a, play on words, obviously, um, the GL shatters away. So it's kind of a mantra for women and it's, it's a little, you know, kick ass for women. Um, and the, you know, with the nail polish, it's about showing that, you know, you can, you can have your, your hands in the dirt and still have your nails on point, um, that you don't have to choose between, you know, being a beauty and being a badass. It's not, it's not one or the other. And that's something that, you know, resonates really strongly with me because like I said, you know, I said people ask me if I was, you know, with the football team because I was a cheerleader and um, they, the image of what a football player looks like or, you know, what a woman who's strong in this looks like is, is often not what you would think of with um, maybe a beauty company. And yet to me, that's the actual beauty of it. Um, is that you could put those things together and that you don't have to choose. Um, and I think that's a really important thing for, for women to see that, you know, they can, they can put on it's it's a top glass or a top coat that looks like shattered glass. They can add it to any color and it's kind of like their own fighting spirit. Um, and for the girls, um, and, and something that's really important for them to see is that you can be an and right? It's not a choice. You don't have to choose either playing football or having great nails or for that matter, being a doctor, you can, you can be all of those things. And as a matter of fact, you should be, if that's what you choose. The nails were always significant to me. And funny enough, my players would always notice too. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of that look good, play good they would notice my nails all of the time from the time I played on the men's team to the time I coached them. So 
Oh. It was really cool. And to work with Orly on that was, you know, was really fun to be able to kind of mix those worlds of, you know, being, being a female and, and getting your hands on a football as well. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense because actually uh, a lot of fashion and sports, um, you know, intersect and, and overlap all the time in, in the real world, uh, you know, in, in all sports fashion. And yet you don't, and, and yet you don't see it a lot of the times with football and women. Like I That's did right. something at, um, fashion week with Visa, uh, which was really fun. And, um, you know, I spoke there and, um, it was on, you know, I said, loving your brand of crazy and kind of what makes you different makes you special. And I opened by saying, you know, uh, I know that you all heard you were going to get a football coach today. Um, so in sticking with that, I, I have some F words for you. Um, but I don't think that they're the ones that you would expect. We're talking female founders, football, fashion week and fabulous, right? Like, and, um, and we got a good, you know, we got a good laugh of it because the, you know, perception and reality are often very different. Um, but I have personally come up against that or even going to a fashion show that I was walking in, um, and getting there and, basically having the equivalent of a dude suit and i would look at him and i'd be like what is, what is this mm-hmm. they're like oh well you're a football coach we wanted you to be comfortable and i'm like i would never wear that and i have a dress and you know they kind of be like well we you know we just assumed i'm like right that's the problem I don't, I don't want a girl to think that just because she loves football just to get rid of all of those other things if she's comfortable in that great i'm just not um and and i think the the opportunity to show it and showcase that is something that I, I, I really enjoy. Right. Uh, I want to take our last few minutes and address what's going on right now. Uh, We're living through one of the most challenging times of our generation as a trailblazer, opportunity creator and overcomer. What advice might you have for business owners and just people in general for these times dealing with the fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic? You know, um, I have actually challenged myself with this a lot and having been somebody who has literally created everything that I've ever done. Um, despite everybody saying what I wanted to do was crazy. Um, in these times I would say really invent like it own your crazy, right? What, what are those ideas that you have? Um, in the back of your head that maybe wouldn't have worked before, um, but might work now. And um, a good friend of mine who's a, you know, another brilliant entrepreneur, I asked him one time, what what was the worst idea you ever had? And he said, none of them, but some of them were just off in timing. And so in a time when everything has shifted, I, I would say that that's when we get to look at the world in a different way and really focus in on what's important and what things maybe wouldn't have worked before, but could now. And also on a personal level that, you know, social distancing um, is actually an opportunity for emotional closeness. Because we don't get to just be easy. We don't just get to relax into our habits of what we see every day. You know, we have to actually go outside of ourselves. 
Um, but for me, I know, you know, I've been using the time to really think in and get creative and to tap into um, the voice of things that I might not have had time uh, before to explore. Um, and those little things, being very focused in them, can help protect you um, in a time like this. Right? It's very easy to get overwhelmed and get external in things that you have no control over. However, your, your mind can only hold one thought at a time. Mm-hmm. And if you, are, if you are focused on whether it's developing a character or, you know, I, I wrote a kid's book the other day. Um, I, I had somebody else ask me and, and I was like, nope, I'm, I'm busy writing a kid's book. I can't handle the world right now. And I, I think that that's the beauty of some of the, some of the things that we have to tap into is that we can simply find joy in things that we may not have had the time for before. Um, and it's scary for everybody, but those who can, um, you know, kind of be a little bit, be a little bit creative. Um, it's also a time where the duck, the deck is going to get shuffled and the old established hierarchy is I think going to just prove that it was old and a little outdated. So, um, for all of us, it's a challenge. It's not easy for anybody, but there is such an amazing resilience in, in the human spirit that we all have. Um, I remember the very first golf tournament I ever got asked to play in. Um, at that time, I was living out of my car. I had left um, an abusive relationship and yet was one of the best football players in the world. And they want me to play in this golf tournament. And I don't even play golf. And I certainly didn't have any golf clothes to wear. So I took some of my clothes and I sold them at a consignment store and found something else that would be passable. And I went to the tournament. And, um, on the first shot, I told everybody who was paying thousands of dollars to ride around in, in a cart with somebody who was making a dollar a game and living out of her car. And I told the guys, I said, listen, um, I'm here for entertainment purposes only. If a good golf shot should occur, please consider it a bonus and not an ex or not an expectation of future performance. And they all started laughing and we had a blast. And they said at the end of the tournament, they told the organizer that I was their favorite celebrity that they had ever been around. And I remembered wondering if they would have thought about it the same way, if they knew what was going on beyond that golf cart. But the truth is it didn't matter. The professionalism it's not the dollars that you make, it's the attitude that you take. And this is the time when we, we all as a society have to take inventory of ourselves, what we have to offer, and where our reinvention will truly be. Wow. This is Admire, and my guest has been Jen Welter. Thank you, Jen. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs>